0: Hey there, I'm Eric J. Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hey there, it's Eric J. Olson for another live edition, the Managing Partners Podcast. And today I have Brian Henry. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Hey, good afternoon, Eric. Good to see you. Hey, great to see you too. I appreciate it. Well, hey, Brian, we always like to start off getting to know a little bit about our guests. Maybe something on a personal level. You don't have to share too much. Go as deep as you want, but just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. I appreciate that. First of all, thanks to you and your group for having me on. I appreciate it. Always glad to explore a new type of medium for us. And this is one of those. So we appreciate it. I'm in Sarasota, Florida right now in our Sarasota office. I've lived here for about 10 years after spending up nearly 15 in Connecticut and managing our Sarasota office as well as our other offices down here in Florida. It's not a bad deal when you get to look outside your window in January and see sunshine and 70 degrees. So we moved down here from Connecticut a number of years ago. So my my Cincinnati and Detroit brethren don't have quite that luxury, but it's nice down here.
0: Yeah, it, it is very nice. Uh, my parents live in Melbourne Beach, Florida, and I always feel bad for my mom when she complains about having to put on socks in the wintertime. That's that's like a big deal for her you know that's like my wife but yes absolutely Yeah. <laughs> well cool how long have you been with the firm uh how big is the firm how many offices do you have
1: sure so i've been with the firm uh, right at right at 10 years but the firm's been around for about 30 under a couple of different names it's we have 11 offices now and from detroit down to port lauderdale we just opened two in mississippi about two weeks ago so we're very proud of that with our partner rebecca mansell who's managing those offices We're a small firm, Eric. We have about 40 attorneys, three or four in each office with the core being in Cincinnati. And uh, it's been for us a very organic growth over the last 30 years, Uh, roughly a little little more than one attorney per year. We don't gobble up other firms or or take on entire practice groups from other people. We take people one person at a time and we're very proud of that process.
0: You know, you you say a a small firm, but I, I, I would disagree. I mean, that's a nice size firm, honestly. And you have a big footprint with all those offices. Um, you know, I'm really kind of interested to know what the thought process was behind opening the two offices in Mississippi, especially at a time where a lot of businesses are kind of like stepping away from the office scene.
1: Sure. So we, you know, we have always managed to open offices or, or it, 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 we put offices where our clients need us. It's kind of the way we've looked at it. We've not gone in and grabbed somebody that we didn't know and, and had them join our firm. It's people that we've known. And we have had a substantial uh, business in Florida dealing with storm cases, wind and water. And that obviously progresses all around to the uh, the Gulf in Mississippi. Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have one office in Mississippi and Biloxi, which we have, because then you can't handle the north part of the state. And we try to make things as cost efficient for our clients as possible, you know, split the uh, difference in terms of travel costs. So that, that's what made the difference for the Jackson office and the Biloxi office to try oh, to split yeah. the two pieces. But it all originates out of the storm business that really peppers the entire Gulf. There were seven storms last year, as you might imagine, that uh, that leads to a lot of litigation, which we're glad uh-huh. to have.
0: You know, I've never thought of it like that, but I, I could understand how that could lead to some litigation, that's for sure. So you you mentioned, yeah, you know, certainly a practice area or two or three, maybe around storm damage. What are some other expertise that your firm has?
1: So we do a number of different things. For the first 25 years of our firm, we were what we called an insurance services law firm, insurance defense work, insurance coverage work, things of that nature. Uh, we've, we've grown beyond that in the last five years to a more multidiscipline firm. I'd still say it's a probably a 70-30 mix, but... From my personal standpoint, uh, I do a lot of work in the fire litigation arena. I do handle fire litigation cases all over the country and have for the last 20 years. And then the other aspect of my personal practice is I represent uh, expert witnesses for a variety of things, whether it's uh, expert witness challenges or business disputes. I represent about 600 expert witnesses around the country now for any number of things they may have going on in their practices. The firm itself does everything from insurance coverage to business and finance to um, you know homeowners association representation things of that nature
0: so with the expert witnesses are are you are you almost like an agent for the expert witnesses
1: yeah that that's that's a a good way of explaining it i I realized about 15, 20 years ago when i looked around in complex litigation that you know you're going to take a room full of attorneys and and people that have an interest and the expert witness was the only person who didn't have a lawyer and I thought, well, that's a little strange since they have their financial and pecuniary interest at stake. So that's exactly what I do. I step in and assist the expert with whatever it is they need. If they need contract development, if they need collections on bills that have been unpaid, if they have somebody that's challenging their credentials in court, uh, I work with that expert to get them admitted into the case, to get their bill paid, to get their contract drafted. They're they're my client, not the case or controversy.
0: That's really interesting. I, I, I didn't realize... That was a need but it makes total sense especially you know if you're an expert witness the last thing you want to do is put yourself into some sort of a legal situation so yeah you need representation
1: i'm the only attorney in the country that i'm aware of that that does that as a practice area so i don't know that it's a big practice area but now i've, I've let the cat out of the bag i may have some competition now
0: i don't know i think you should go all in on that you're the only <laughs> one. that's that's pretty neat yeah that's uh i mean it makes total sense uh definitely great what what are some trends that you have noticed in the different practice areas or just in, in running, you know, the offices of the
1: firm? Sure. Because we're positioned really across the country from top to bottom, we see a lot of different things happening, right? We, we're exposed to a lot of different kinds of firms and different, you know, localities, small firms, big firms. I think probably the most disturbing trend that we see that, that really we don't like and don't really want to be a part of is this idea of big law, right? The idea of law firms that are more concerned with gobbling up the law firms than they are about actually practicing law and servicing their clients. That that seems to be the name of the game now. I, I don't want to give them publicity, but there are you know dozen or more firms in the country that started off small, and it looks like every week they're picking up somebody else's firm and just adding them to the mix. We don't do that, and we're not going to do that. It, it To me, it, there's a, something that's lost in the uh, inner workings and the relationships that you have, both internally and externally, when you get so big that you don't know the person down the hallway from you. And that becomes a bit of a challenge. We, we're we a small firm. We've had lots of opportunities to, to be gobbled up or to join others. And quite frankly, we kind of like where we're at. We are like we like having the autonomy and the responsibility to the clients that we have to give the service that we've always given for 30 years without having the, the, the hoops to go through that a large 400, 500, 800 person firm can, can create.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine that would be a huge bureaucracy. That's for sure.
1: It's just not something that we really want to be a part of.
0: No, I get it. Now, when when you bring on an attorney, unless they're fresh out of law school, it's it's almost like buying like, like a small uh, firm, isn't it? Or at least like a practice area?
1: I think it depends on who you're hiring. We have never hired someone from there that had their own practice that had multiple attorneys. We have brought on people that we've known and that were friends or people we've worked with in other capacities But always there was a preliminary or a relationship before they came on board with us so that we know who they were and kind of how they were operating. It's important to us to have a seamless transition for them and for us into a a broader family of attorneys than just adding on a group that's going to take over the the 19th floor or whatever the case may be. I think you lose something in that circumstance. So when we add an individual, we just added my partner, Rebecca Mansell in Mississippi. I've known Rebecca for a number of years through some work we've done together at the National Center for Explosives Training and Research in Huntsville. We both worked there for the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms on some things. And that's how we ended up bringing her on.
0: Really interesting. That's neat. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, certainly about your firm and the footprint the offices and, you know, the duration of time that it's taken. What do you see as far as maybe like the next five or 10 years of growth for your firm?
1: So a couple of different things. And we, you know, if if you plotted us out on a Harvard Business School, you know, map of proper business growth, we would fail miserably because it just doesn't really work that way, right? More often than not, what we've done is we've put an office or attorneys where our clients have said, hey, can you help us out here? Can you help us out there? And so we start with that kind of uh, organic growth and it grows from there. Our Indianapolis office is a very good example. A significant client of ours came to us and said, we've got a lot of work in Indianapolis. Can you put somebody there? So we did. Now we have Eric Sanders, my partner, there managing that that office. Going forward, you know, just look at a map, and you can see in a map we have a couple of holes geographically. Um, We skip from Louisville, Lexington down to Florida, and so I need to fill in Nashville, and I need to fill in Atlanta. Quite, quite honestly, it's probably the next locations that we would be looking at geographically. But it's got to be somebody we know, and it's got to be a good fit for us because it's just. It's just too cumbersome if it's, if it's a random person who just only is loosely affiliated with us. Uh, but geographically, that's what we would see in terms of offices. In terms of business practice, I think that we would like to continue to diversify what we do, bring that 70-30 mix probably down to about a 50-50 mix, and continue to provide additional services to our client base beyond insurance, uh, and become more of a more general practice firm that handles a lot of different things. Clients look for, quite honestly, one-stop shopping, and that's why they go to these large firms, because there's somebody in that firm that can do the work. We don't want to do that, but we want to make sure we have the skill set necessary to serve just about any need our clients might have. So I think continuing to expand our diversification and add to the non-insurance practice to have it balance out the insurance practice is where we would go substantively. So
0: if, if you're adding on different specializations and, and practice areas, how much of a concern is you know, balancing the need for diversification uh, with the need for, say, like niching, so that uh, people get to know you as a particular type of firm or attorney. Those two kind of go like they're opposite, right?
1: Yeah, and it's and it's also very cyclical, Eric. I mean, you you'll see this idea with clients of of niche preference for seven years, and then you'll see. We want diversification for seven years and then we want niche again. And so it's sickled. I've been through probably three or four cycles now. I think what you have to do is make sure that you maintain the close relationships you have. Make sure you're continuing to provide that A quality product to the clients that you have. And at the same time, add on ideas and, and concepts and areas that are really value added. You don't want to add something that's so foreign to what it is you currently do that this doesn't match. For example, I, I can't envision us adding a you know a patent and trademark practice. It's just very foreign to what we do. But when we're handling, you know, car accident cases on the defense side or, or whatever it may be, you know, slipping ball cases, insurance coverage matters, people that you talk to invariably might need, you know, I need somebody that can do this for me or handle this other kind of case. And that's fine. You know, we're glad to accommodate that to the extent we can or refer them to a value partner that that, uh, that does it we don't. But wholesale changes in practice, I mean, we're just not going to be, you know, the patent and trademarks the easiest example. We're just probably not ever going to do that.
0: Yeah. And that would probably happen if you, you know, say like acquired an entire firm and gobbled them up, right. You, you take the good and the bad and there may not be a fit. You may get some patent law in there and you do not doesn't make sense, but.
1: And that's what some firms do and that's fine. That's their model and that, that works well. Because we grow organically, we kind of have a, a symbiosis between us and the people that we add on. And so there means there's usually some sort of commonality between us. So there's, there wouldn't be that kind of lack of commonality in that kind of practice. Sure. No, that makes a lot of
0: sense. Yeah. Like My my business lawyer that I've been using for years, uh, you know, he helps us with the contracts and all those kinds of things. Well, he he recently added on wills and trusts, and that makes a whole lot of sense because he's dealing with business owners and business owners probably at some point need that taken care of.
1: And that's exactly the kind of way we've grown. We have uh, my partner, Jim Birch in Cincinnati, and did a lot of business work, you know, representing small businesses, getting their corporation documents up and going and somebody needs a will or somebody needs a trust set up so we you know either learn the subject matter or add somebody that knows that subject matter and then they work together to to fulfill the needs of that client so we look sense. for ways we look for ways to fulfill what the client needs as opposed to creating a cafeteria of options that don't necessarily have a connection to people yeah yeah that
0: makes a whole lot of sense okay uh so you know uh we're a digital marketing agency and so we're always interested to in know how people are growing through marketing and you mentioned that you've you've grown organically, really kind of like more or less following your clients where they need you, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's the the strategy behind opening offices and whatnot, which makes total sense. But I would imagine there's also still marketing going on there. Like you've talked about communicating with your clients and communicating with, you know, other stakeholders. What what are some of the marketing strategies maybe that that kind of jump out of you as as far as ways that you've been able to grow your firm?
1: Sure, I think there's a couple of different things. First of all, in a non-COVID year, I spend about 100 days a year on the road, so it's important for at least from our perspective to maintain relationships. Email's fine, telephone's fine, but at some point, you, you generally want to shake hands with a business partner and say, "You know, I'm the person representing you, and and I'm the one who's you've entrusted with your business." And that's important to us, and will remain important to us. But then you have to deliver. As I tell young associates in the firm, I need you to produce an A quality product because that's what I'm out selling. I'm selling a product. Uh, to our clients that we're going to deliver X, Y, or Z to them and we're going to deliver it timely and we're going to do it better than the next guy. And we have to deliver that. So, you know, the marketing is great and sales is fantastic. But as soon as you stop delivering on that, you're going to see your case caseload turn down. And so, you know, our job is to make sure that we don't make any client's job harder, that we make their job easier. They want their problem fixed. However, their problem presents itself. Uh, you know, our strategy in marketing is what is your problem? And are we equipped to handle that problem for you? Because if we are and we handle it, we're going to take care of it. And you don't have to worry about that problem anymore.
0: Love it. Yep. That, 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 that's a great approach for sure. All right, Brian, well, that was awesome. Is there anything that I failed to ask you that you think would be important to the audience?
1: No, I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you a little bit. We, um, As I've said a couple of times now, we have a, a slew of attorneys running from north to south. And my practice is nationwide. And you know, we're very honest to a fault sometimes with new clients. If you call us and say, well, can you help me? And I can, I'll help them. But if I say I can't, I'll direct you in the right direction and say, this person would give you a better job on this deal than I would, because that's why I would want to be treated.
0: And yeah, so, that, that's really important. I, I, yeah, we of course, you always want the business. But if, you know, if that's not going to work out, then you want to connect them with someone that, you know, it's,
1: can It's or... a miracle on 34th Street scenario. If, if Macy's doesn't have it, I can send you over to Gimbel's or vice okay. versa and make sure you get the right product. I'd rather a client, a potential client be happy then get something that, they, that doesn't work well for them. I think we have a duty beyond just our own pocketbook.
0: Yeah, love it. Great. What is the best way for someone to get in touch with you after this?
1: Uh, you can you know always reach us through our main line, 513-579-0080 or rolfishenry.com. That's R-O-L-F-E-S-Henry.com. Always be glad to take any questions or follow-ups from anybody. Glad to have people uh, tune in. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, so much All right, everybody.
0: Uh, this is another episode of the Managing Partners podcast. And my name is Eric J. Olson. I am one of the co-founders of Array Digital. We specialize in law firm marketing. So if you want to grow through marketing and SEO websites, things like that, give us a reach and give us a call. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. All right, bye.